Greetings once again, Retreat Church. Thank you for joining us online today. We pray that you are experiencing the hope of Christ in every aspect of your life and that we know nothing is absolutely perfect and that's why hope is so important, right? We don't hope for things that we already have. I don't hope that I'm going to eat breakfast this morning. I've already done that. And so um, I, when we experience something, there's no longer any need for hope. But when we have hope, it gives us this energy and this positive mindset over which we can face uncertain times and things that maybe God hasn't taken um, care of for us yet, and we are still in those stages of hope. And we don't just have blind hope when it comes to our faith in Christ. We don't just have this wish fulfillment kind of I hope so um, uncertain mentality. But what we have is a hope based upon the reality of a past historical event that we call the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we believe that 2,000 years ago, Jesus literally rose from the dead and that in that historical event, he solidified or proved everything that he once said about himself and that others were saying about him in the gospel record. And that he silenced all of his critics by coming back from the grave. And so when we look back at that historical event, we then can gain hope and encouragement to move forward in our relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing that if he truly rose from the dead, then all of his promises that have yet to be fulfilled and all of the power and the resource that he has made available to us, then we can have hope in that, even though we are currently dealing with some very serious issues. So if you have something going on in your life today that has not been solved yet, you're waiting on the Lord to fix that, you're waiting on some answers, you're waiting on some provision, maybe you're waiting on the Lord to move in someone's life that you dearly love and that seems to be um, walking and, and living in all the wrong ways, and, and you're just hoping for Jesus to reach out to them. Well, this morning what I want to do is talk to you about that hope. And I want to kind of move that hope into the present. Because what I've noticed about many Christians today, and you probably pick up on this in a lot of the Christian language that we have, is that we've somehow come to this conclusion that when we become Christians, we're saved and we're forgiven of our sin, and we're given the opportunity to go to heaven when we die. We receive that gift of eternal life, knowing that we will forever live in the presence of God and others. And we tend to then devalue our human experience here, our current human experience, our, as we call our earthly life, or our temporal existence, or our fleshly life, or our pre-heaven life. All of those different kind of phrases and identification marks that we place upon that life that we live in between the moment of our conversion and the time of our glorification in heaven. We tend to devalue that as less than... Um, less than amazing, less than victorious, and we view that as a time when we are just continually failing and depending on the grace and mercy of God as provided by Jesus. And then when we get to heaven, then all things will be well. Well, I know that all things are not perfect in our earthly existence, in our life and between our conversion and our glorification going on to heaven. I know that there's, there's not that idea that, that it's perfect, but can there be some victory based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, did he give us hope for heaven and hope for eternity only? Or did he in some way provide a power that we can live in that victory 
throughout our Christian experience. I pray this morning that this word that we share with you today will help you find hope in the gospel in such a way that will elevate the value that you place upon your current life now and to provide a stronger sense of hope for you that if you are struggling with an aspect of sin today that God will and can deliver you and you can have hope of victory and you do not have to have these things remain in your life that are destroying relationships and destroying your peace. So let's move into the scriptures today. First of all, the main scripture for this, this series throughout our time pushing towards Easter is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where we read this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what exactly is that living hope? Well, let's move into some scripture that Paul helps us understand in the, in the book of Romans and in the book of Acts, looking at the book of Acts first, when we look at Peter. Now, Peter is preaching this sermon in Acts chapter 2, which we, we call it a sermon. It was probably this spontaneous um, anointing of God given to him to speak in response to some accusations. Remember, as Jesus had resurrected and then ascended, and we get this command in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, where he told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit that would be delivered to them not many days from then. And so when that happened, as we read in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon God's people, they were empowered to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, when they began to preach, people from all over the world that had gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover feast, they heard the gospel in their native tongue. And it was amazing. And then some of the detractors, you know, there's always a detractor when God moves, that came and said, well, you guys are all just drunk. You, you've been drinking too much. And in classic Peter form, he's the one to stand up and speak. But this time, he's infused with this power of the Holy Spirit. And where before, he said some things that even had Jesus calling in the devil himself. When now, but this time, infused with the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter begins to speak and gives this powerful, anointed message. And part of this message that Peter gives us, we learn this idea that our hope for eternal life is based on Jesus' power over death. Okay, now let's go to what he says, because I think there's some hope for not only our eternal life with Christ, but our hope here today. So let's look at this. He says in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the divine plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand and that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. So then Peter goes back from his quoting of David and he says this in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us today, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him 
that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So what Peter does here is he starts with some undisputable facts about Jesus. As he comes, he says, hey, everybody in, within the listening audience here, you guys know that Jesus did mighty works among you. Those are undeniable facts about Jesus. It's also undeniable that the Jewish leaders delivered him, Jesus to the Romans for crucifixion. That was undeniable. But then he goes back and he begins to quote David. And he begins to quote David as expressing this hope that he believed that the Messiah, the coming Messiah, would conquer death and that he would not remain in the grave and his body would not see corruption. And that very hope caused David to live a current life experience with joy and with hope because, with his current problems, because what David suffered many times in his life was from many enemies coming against him. And David had some some inappropriate relationships with women that caused um, much pain in his life. And so when David was looking at his current life, he was having hope and experiencing joy and experiencing peace, even though he had caused himself some trouble, made and created havoc for people's life, committed grave sins, but yet he knew that he could live a life at peace with God and at peace with others, as we hear and read in Psalm 51, as he came into repentance and gained freedom from those things, and he knew that however God would work in regards to the enemies that he had and those trying to kill him, he was looking forward to the resurrection and living in hope in the midst of pain. And so when you and I are looking at this, we, unlike David, we can look back to the past and see the historical event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we too can know and do what David did in Psalm 51. We can repent of our sins. We can be restored by God. We can live in peace, even though we know that there is present trouble, because the power of Christ that was utilized to raise him from the dead is the same power that is living in us. As Peter said in the first verse we read, it is a living hope. It is a hope that shapes our today as much as it shapes our tomorrow. It is a hope that elevates the value of our life, not devalues our human experience and just puts off joy and happiness and completeness until we get to heaven. Let's move a little further into what Paul says on this issue in Romans chapter 6. Now, in Romans chapter 6, you, you have this, this, this pull back and forth and into Romans 7 and Romans 8. And what we have is, is Paul um, teaching us about this struggle that each and every one of us have with sin. And you can see the tension in Paul's writings in that section in Romans that it's this, this hope of better and this realization of a struggle, this realization and hope of the Holy Spirit and the freedom that comes in Christ, but yet the struggle of the human experience with our own desires and the flesh that pulls against us. And we see that tension between this battle of what we want to do in following Christ and then what our flesh wants to do. And there's this struggle in our human experience. But when we read Romans, what we sometimes do, many of us, is that we emphasize the struggle part of it and ignore the victory part of it. In other words, we emphasize our limitations and we devalue or we ignore the power of God that can come in and help us through and deal with our limitations. Let's look 
at a little bit of a lengthy passage in Romans chapter um, 6, verses 1 through 14. We'll begin by reading and looking at the first two verses. Notice Paul says, what shall we say then? And this is building off of his talking about the fact that we're saved by grace, okay? So because we're saved by grace, Paul then begins chapter 6. What then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase or abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now notice Paul is saying, I realize you are saved by grace. Romans chapter 5, right? We are saved by grace. We are all broken sinners. We are all without the um, ability to put ourselves in a position of being accepted by a holy God. None of us can do that. None of us can look at our own life and look at the law and say, I'm going to achieve the law based upon my own strength, and I'm going to become something that God will accept. That is with, that is outside of the human capacity. So we are saved by grace. But then Paul comes and he says, well, if we're saved by grace, should we just continue to sin? Is that just what I'm meaning by devaluing our human experience and say, well, I'm saved by grace, so my life will be just characterized by one sin after another. And if there's really some addiction and some strongholds in my life, I have no hope in this life for being freed from them. If I'm an alcoholic, well, then I'm an alcoholic and I will continue to drink. And I have no hope from getting freedom from that. If it's lying, if it's cheating, if it's being selfish, if it's addictions to pornography and maybe some food addictions and those kind of things today, if it's trapped in... in, in um, in a relational mindset that we just keep walking into relationships that are unhealthy because we, for numerous reasons, keep falling into those and making those poor choices. Can Jesus free us from those things? And are we expected in our Christian life, because we're saved by grace, to just live a life of sin? Paul says no to that in these first two verses. We move on into verse 3, and we notice this in verses 3 through 10. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised by the glory or from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too, listen to this phrase, might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if you and now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death he died, he died to sin, once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now see, Paul is talking about our current earthly existence. We sometimes want to read this text and go, yes, I've been baptized. Therefore, when I die, I'll be resurrected to eternal life and I'll go on with Jesus. Yes, that's true. You will, when you die as a believer in Jesus, you will go on into eternity with eternal life and be in the presence of Jesus and other followers. You will, and I will. But Paul is talking in this text about our life here and that we've been saved by grace. Should we just continue in sin? No, because of the resurrection of Jesus. See, the resurrection of Jesus puts a power into our life that we are to live and experience here. 
And now I'm not, because I know some of you are thinking right now, boy, he's sounding, he's sounding like, you know, this holiness preacher that says that we can live um, a life where we, you know, no longer sin, where you come and say, hey, there was a date when I went to an altar of prayer and I haven't sinned since. Not saying that. This is what I am saying. Whatever is in your life right now that is destroying your life and it is labeled as sin in the Bible, in the Word of God, that God can give you freedom in that. You do not have to have your life ruined by those things that are tempting you. You do not need to give in to those. Will you be tempted for the rest of your life? Probably so. Is there a struggle with our in our fleshly um, existence? Absolutely. You and I will always be tempted to be selfish. You and I will always be tempted to be inappropriate. You and I will, sin will always be something that Satan keeps throwing at us and that our own minds want to create and temptation is there. But the power to say no is available in the, in, in the person of the Holy Spirit as he fills our life and empowers us. And the resurrection of Jesus provides a power for us, as Paul said, that he died to sin. See, we often think that Jesus just went to the cross as a punitive thing, like punitive justice. That's part of it, a huge part of it. We think that Jesus went to the cross to conquer the grave so that we will not die and we will live forever. True, big part of it, massive part of it. But those things aren't the only thing that Jesus did. Jesus did there as he died to sin. He gave us the power to walk in victory. And if you want to live a life to where you look and say, well, you know, I'm saved by grace and I'm going to be nothing but a sinner for the rest of my life and I won't get any victory. You know, I think that we treat God that way, but I don't think we treat anybody else that way. I don't think that we treat our spouses that way. If we come to our spouses and we say, honey, I'm sorry, I, you know, cheated on you and I'm just going to cheat on you for the rest of my life because I can't get victory and well, you know, praise God, I'm saved by grace and where our marriage is based on grace. And so no matter how many times I cheat on you throughout our earthly existence, I'm sorry, but when we get to heaven, all that'll stop. We don't do that. We don't tell our children, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, child, that I keep lying to you and that I keep, you know, um, telling you things that aren't true and, and, and not giving you things and not taking care of you because I'm just selfish. And so you do without, I'm going to please myself. I'm probably going to lie to you for your entire childhood and your entire adult life. And well, when I get to heaven, well, then you'll have a dad that doesn't lie to you anymore. See, we don't treat our, treat our children like that. We don't treat our spouses like that. And I know that you don't treat your boss like that. You don't steal from your company and then go back into your boss and say, hey, sorry, I stole from the company. I'm just a sinner. I'm saved by grace. And as long as you let me live here, work here, I'm going to keep stealing from you. We, we, we don't do those things. But yet somehow we've taken this idea of grace and we've cheapened it. We've taken our earthly existence and we've devalued it to a place where we treat God in this way that we just walk all over his grace and his mercy. And I cringe to think about the fact that I start to wonder if you've really taken the cross of Christ seriously, if you have an attitude of, I'm just going to continue to treat God this way. I'm really considering, I really think that you should consider going back to the scriptures and asking yourself, Do you, have you really fully surrendered your life to Jesus? Are you really fallen under the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life? Or are you just 
trying to get things from a God who's abundantly gracious and you're really your own Lord and your own God and you're using God to try to be self-serving. You might want to spend some time with the Lord and consider those questions. When we finish up the text here reading, reading on verse 11, he says, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And listen to this, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members, members are your, your body parts, okay? Your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So the concluding challenge today is this. That you would accept the struggle. You would say that my earthly life and our earthly life are going to be filled with temptations. They're going to be filled with um, all sorts of things that the devil throws our way and that we um, come up with ourselves. We're, we're quite good at that. We accept the struggle. The struggle will end when we're in heaven. But we don't need to wait to heaven to start having victory. So if you're struggling with some things today, we believe at the Retreat Church that whatever you walk in here with, God can free you from. We believe that. We believe that with our whole hearts. Otherwise, we would not believe in the scriptures and we would be devaluing the power of God. And when you come to the retreat church and you come to Jesus Christ or you come to any Bible-believing church, you come to one that wants to make you free, one that wants to give you deliverance, one that wants to give you a hope, and one who has died to sin, died and conquered the grave, and resurrected so that you and I can live in a living hope, not devaluing our human experience. So what we need to give each other in this day, we must give each other accountability, not excuses, right? I don't think we come to a church for an excuse. I don't think we listen to worship songs or hear a sermon so that we can feel better about our sinful lifestyle. I believe that within a church community, and if we really love each other, we're looking out for each other's best, and we're giving each other accountability, not excuses. So if you feel like you need to make a new commitment to Jesus Christ today and you feel like maybe you have some things in your life that you've just said, I guess that's the way I'm going to be. If you've been treating your children, treating your wife, been treating God in these ways, I pray that you would repent of that and that you would contact us today at theretreatchurch.com and that we could pray with you and help you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. God bless you. We'll see you next time.